Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. It's an Other Voices preview special today as we talk to one of the hottest up-and-coming bands in the country in Gurriers, who played St. James's Church in Dingle in December, and one of the hosts of the show, May Kay. We'll also hear a little from one of their photographers, Rich Gilligan, who was on the TPOE podcast last year and talked a little bit about other voices towards the end of that chat. So season 22 of Other Voices begins on RTE2 and the RTE Player from February 29th, featuring performances and conversations filmed in Dingle, Cork and West Wales, presented by Annie Mack, Hugh Stevens, and yes, Mayke. The six-part series will showcase some of the most thrilling Irish and international artists on the music scene with exclusive, intimate performances by <gasps> Deep Breath, Griff, K Tempest, The Murder Capital, Villagers, BC Camplight, Catherine Finch and Aoife Nuvian, Seamat, Oxen, Gurriers, Mick Flannery, Julie Byrne, The Joy, Khaki Kid, Nivburi, Cubana and Lucy McWilliams. So I got offered a couple of interviews to help preview other voices for the podcast and was so excited to talk with Gurriers. There are five piece from Dublin who, as you'll hear me say, I first heard supporting Altered Hours in the Grand Social two years ago, one of their first gigs, as it turns out. They've released a steady string of brilliant singles over the years and are garnering a lot of excitement. I usually talk to bands around the time they release an album, but was so interested to talk to one on this side of the hype and had a really nice chat with frontman Dan Hoff, who thankfully doesn't sound as angry as he does when he sings those songs. We'll hear their latest single, Des Goblin, in a sec. Then we'll revisit a little of my chat from last summer with the photographer, Rich Gilligan, who heads to Other Voices every December to shoot it. I loved our full chat, TPOE 273. If you want to go back and listen, I really would encourage it. Just really, really good to hear about his journey and the creative process. But I thought this snippet helps get across the special feeling that Other Voices engenders. So that's going to link us between Dan from Gurriers and Mayke's part of the interview in the second half of the show. Mayke is the front woman of Fight Like Apes, and yes, she also presents Other Voices. We are going to dive back into the mid-noughties Dublin scene when Fight Like Apes were starting out, and we're going to talk about their rise, a little about their fall, and then their reunion for last year's triumphant show at the Olympia Theatre. They're returning there for one final show on April 6th, and it does sound like it might be the last one from Fight Like Apes. I believe there's less than 100 tickets left for that one, so if you're thinking about going, I wouldn't sit on it. Mayke was also on the TPOE podcast previously, one of my favourite episodes marking the 10-year anniversary of their debut album, Fight Like Apes, and the mystery of the Golden Medallion. That's TPOE 101 from April 2018, FYI. So that sounds like a good show to me. I don't know about you, but I think it's a great show coming up. Fair play to other voices for still burning bright after all these years. I can't say, I can't say it enough. Season 22. Let's listen to Des Goblin by Gurriers. I can't wait to see their version in the church in Dingle on the upcoming series. We'll get into the chats with first Dan Hoff before we hear from Rich Gilligan and then Mayke on the point of everything. 
So I guess we'll start off with the newest single that you released. It's been out about a week since we're talking now. Des Gob- Des Goblin, Des Goblin. Uh, how has the reaction been to it? Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, we've gotten a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of plays on Spotify, and we got a lot of uh, articles written about it as well. We've even got to um, a couple of Japanese articles, which is quite cool. You know, people as far away as Japan listen to your music is quite interesting. Um, so hopefully one day we get to play there. But yeah, no, it's been amazing. The the radio plays been really good as well, and people have just send this messages digging it so yeah couldn't have been happier it's only your first week as well so hopefully it grows do you kind of like keep tabs on that maybe in the couple of days after it comes out you're just like is it doing okay how do we check the, you know how do we check these things and stuff yeah i'm i'm definitely a little bit obsessed with just to see how it's doing for the first couple of days and then i'm like i'll, I'll leave it i won't look at it for a while yeah and then come back and then see how it is but yeah it's just because you've worked so hard on it you want to see how it kind of goes out straight away you know but uh yeah it seems to it seems to be doing as well as we as all the other singles have been doing so if we look at it that way they should it should do quite well coming in the coming months it sounds like it continues a theme that I guess you've had running through your singles uh, over the past year. You know, it sounds angry. Again, there's a vein of anger running through it. You say that it's about apathy and self-obsession in the face of impending destruction, particularly to do with the effects of climate change and war and people being too obsessed with themselves and their online personas to be able to see the wood for the trees. It's a pretty heady statement, I suppose. Is that just something that you... like you feel that you have to talk about i think so i um i was actually i think it was during remember when um greece was having really bad forest fires last summer and a lot of the videos were live you know and i was watching someone tiktok with my my partner and you, you could see like you know love hearts coming up as you know for people to be like you know I hope you're okay and sending love or whatever. And it was like quite, it was quite jarring seeing all these love hearts going up while people are like videoing their, their town on fire or whatever. And then you just go to the next video and then it's just someone with like, you know, doggy ears and, you know, like playing games with their friends, which is fine. It's just the, the way life is. But I just looked at it. It's like, if we do get to a certain place, are we just going to be still self, so self-obsessed when everything else is burning and there's climate change or a war? Are we still just going to be like, you know, making these videos and making this content to, you know, obviously try and move away from it and distract yourself. But also there's that jarredness to it. Like, I think people just, it makes me feel weird, I think is the main thing. And I was just like, I need to write about this for my own good. (laughs) You've written about social media, kind of maybe apathy before. Have you as approachable as kind of about that? Is it that kind of narcissism, I suppose, more that you see online? Yeah, approachable is a lot more to do with the um, rhetoric and thought process of like right wing, more like far right wing kind of um, thinkers and how it is mostly online. And just uh, these aren't these are people I wouldn't ever really associate myself with if I was to meet them. I think I just we wouldn't have anything in common. We wouldn't have anything to probably want to talk to each other about or want to help each other learn. We just wouldn't like each other. And I think that's just something that I was feeling during lockdown with COVID and everything. There was so much of it going around online and Twitter was as it always has been a cesspool. You know, that 
was just all I saw. And all these people were just like, I just don't want to, I wouldn't be able to like associate myself with you people. So I just wrote it because I was angry and I was just also scared of people in Ireland in particular, like smaller groups in Ireland finally actually becoming powerful, you know, strong groups and becoming something that like the lyrics says, one day you wake up and I'll be all over your television. That person who's like in their bedroom writing these horrible comments online actually might be the one you listen to who is taking over your country. I just, you know, it's probably a bit of a far stretch, but it's just a, a fear I had at the time. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> don't be, you know, you can never fear social media, I guess, too much. But it's interesting that you do find the kind of influence from the lyrics in social media. I think a lot of people have kind of struggled with how to kind of be influenced by it and to write music about it. So it is really interesting that you're actually able to do that. I don't know what it is. It was always like I've always written about like what's going on around me. But I never really wanted I never really thought about writing about what the internet is, if you know what I mean. Like it's it's part of our life and it's part of where a lot of the troubles and tribulations are where in people. And I think that was just something that drawn me to it because I saw so much and a lot of people I know work in certain companies that do content moderation. So when I first heard about content moderation as well, I was like, Oh, that's another dark side of the internet. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess social media is kind of a necessary evil as well for a band. Yeah, it is, yeah. Do you want to talk about like just how shit it is, I guess, having to like do all of that ad admin -y type stuff, if nothing else, trying to push yourselves and stuff like that online just because, I don't know, I think it's harder and harder for a band these days to just like focus on the music. It sounds like you've got to be like 17 different things as well. Do you, do you guys find that or have, are you able to like split it up between you all of this other stuff that you have to do we split up quite well because Pearson Pearson the band is uh in charge of the social media he he did um marketing in college before he joined the band then dropped all of his you know marketing <laughs> degrees and everything just as you know be part of a social media for the band <laughs> but yeah he's he um he's really good at it and he 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 loves it where I would find it quite um not tedious but like i would be do i'd put up certain things and i'd be like uh, i i question everything i put up he has everything planned really well and i would also be waiting for that one bad comment to come in and we were yeah, waiting for yeah. the bad comment to come in and be like go on i dare you <laughs> say something um but um no he's very good he's very calm and collected with it at all and he's very happy to kind of take the reins on that and he does we, we obviously have our own ideas and he listens to them and He's not completely, you know, over overbearing with it. So it's good. So, yeah. It's been a great year for you guys. I mean, I mentioned Approachable. That came out pretty much just over a year ago, at the right at the start of February 2023. And it sounds like you've had a brilliant year, 12 months um, since then. Have you felt the hype building yourselves? Is this something that, I mean, I guess you do pay attention to it because you can see the gigs that are selling out and stuff. Is it something that you've actually talked about that you've got to like almost be careful with this like hype bubble that's building? Yeah, that's the thing. So I've always, I've always wanted to do what this, I've always wanted to be in a band, but I never expected the kind of the, the, this like hype, as you say, hype bubble or whatever to come. I just kind of expected to just do this as, as long as I can but 
I've always tried to be like present in it as well as, as much as I can. So a lot of times we're away. If we do a really good show, whatever, I'll try and take a couple of minutes on my own just to take it in. And there's been so many shows over the summer last year where we played in like Germany or Poland or France. And there's thousands of people. I'd say very little people knew who we were. They're just at a gig and they want to go to the band that's playing the big stage or playing this certain stage. And it's full of loads of people. And the reception, the crowd is amazing. And you just come off stage afterwards, you're like, what the hell happened there? Like, how is there so many people dancing and enjoying yourselves? And when we talk about it and we're like, this is, this is good, you know, this is what we've always wanted to do. So let's just keep it going without losing the run of ourselves, you know? Just always try and stay kind of grounded to it because it's, as we always say, it's a very fickle thing. It can be taken away from you very quickly. So just enjoy it is what everyone tells us as well. It's like, do, do what you can, try and be the best, but make sure to enjoy it. So that's how we're trying to look at it and not try and look too far, too far forward and getting this done or that done or getting a label to come. It's just about kind of like doing what we do and doing what we have been doing and making it work. It must have been such an exciting year as well, like getting to play all the shows. Like, you know, I'm saying, you know, oh, you've got to be careful about the hype building. But also it's like, man, you got to like enjoy every fucking moment as well, right? Big time. Yeah. Every moment, every moment you have to enjoy it. And like, especially like even like Ledger Picnic this year, we played at two o'clock in the day in one of the one of the tents. I think it was a tree music stage. And we were like, oh, two o'clock on a Sunday. Everyone's going to be hung over. About a thousand, about you know, 1,500 people there. And we are like, fair enough. This is amazing. That was that was a really interesting moment for us. You're we like, this is, people are actually coming to see us. They're interested, you know? So we were like, okay, maybe we are great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not quite, um, not quite wolf tone levels of people like. No, uh... <laughs> never, never, not yet. Maybe in about 40 years when we've written a couple more albums. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you mentioned independent there. Are you guys still releasing your music independent? Have have you had like labels dabbling in in what yeah, you're there's, up to? There's always dabbling, and you know that's you know you have to. I guess you have to look uh, be very appetizing for a label to see the bigger picture. I guess as well, and like how we're going. I think we definitely would. We wouldn't say no to a, a label that you know suits us and work and you know that is into what we do and we're just being you know careful everything we've done so far we've done it on our own and it's gone well you know it's gone relatively well we have we have a great team behind us as well that help us out but that's just how we're doing it right now if there is any labels that are interested uh hello (laughs) um as well but um no yeah it's not it's not the it's not the main thing like we're going to south by southwest next month so that is a good opportunity for us to get in, you know, in the ears of certain people that would probably help us, you know, move forward with the band as well and an American audience. So that's something we're really kind of focusing on at the moment. Uh, I was going to ask about South by Southwest because sometimes I talk to bands who have like just played it and stuff and I don't think about asking. But like, what are the logistics in like a five piece band having to get over to uh, Tex- Austin, Texas for South by Southwest? Is there a lot of uh, of planning that's going into this? Yeah, we've planned it all. We have we have our flight sorted. We have the accommodation sorted. And then the whole thing for me being over there is just kind of having like a game plan to like work at work at South by because it's like it's it is like a 
it's window shopping for you know booking agents and labels and everything and you gotta have you have to be you know the nicest piece piece of cake in the in the <laughs> shop like you know yeah. what i mean um so like i think there's an idea of like just you know going there again enjoying ourselves as much as possible don't drink too much of the free drink i've been told and <laughs> you know enjoy ourselves and just for me as well it's like only 20 minute sets only like 20 minute okay. sessions that's grand <laughs> i won't actually might not break a sweat for once um but uh yeah no that'll be good i'm looking forward to it great um tell me about how you guys uh got together or started out and when are we talking because it does seem like a really quick rise for you guys sweet so funnily enough a lot of us are friends uh we unfortunately uh, unfortunately emmett was in the band but uh, he's not anymore. And Emmett was one of my oldest friends. But we now we have Charlie McCarthy, who's joined only recently. And Charlie, shouts out to Charlie. He's one of the best bassists I've ever seen. So we're very lucky. But me and Mark knew each other for years. We used to work at McDonald's. Me and Ben have worked with each other. We've lived with each other. And I know Pierce, the drummer, through Mark. And I've lived in where Pierce lives. You know what I mean? So we're all very connected and very close. We started... We started in January 2020. So oh, we started for two months <laughs> and then all hell broke loose. And we just kind of stuck at like these. We stuck at Zoom meetings, you know, we stuck at like chats, like keep the band in, in your forefront in your mind, you know, just to kind of when when things do relatively get normal again, just get into a room and start writing and everyone write at home and we we wrote like approachable we actually wrote approachable on a very very first practice wow. which is quite funny um and then we wrote top of the bill and other songs like in between you know lockdowns so we'd have this song written and then we'd be gone for months and they'd be like we just want to work on this song again so it was it was tough but when it finally came out and we when everything was kind of lifted it just went straight up then so yeah we're just trying to, we're still riding that kind of wave, you know? Yeah, I mean, I saw you guys supporting Altered Hours again pretty much like two years ago at Grand Social. It feels like February is an important time for you guys. Releasing the yeah. single last year, supporting Altered Hours two years ago. Are they one of um, your touchstones as a band? Just like an unbelievable guitar band, right? Yeah, it was amazing. It was it was really nice of them to ask us to play. And I was, because I was listening to their, they released their album only the year before. And I was listening to Thistle on repeat because a lot of our friends were into it as well. And then we got offered that. And I think it was I think it was October. It was supposed to be or November, I think. And then there was the lockdown again or someone had COVID in the band. So then it was moved back to February. And I think it was only like our fourth or fifth show. I think. Wow, really? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, because we, we I think, it was, yeah, it was about our fourth or fifth show, I'm pretty sure. Um, and um, yeah, that was really fun. It was like I think it was the first time we like we we played the Grand Social that for all of us in the band the first time we played the Grand Social when it was full, <laughs> so we're like this is great. <laughs> we get used to this, you know. But yeah, it was great. It was good. It was nice hanging out with them as well. And so, ha like thinking about that show, the fourth or fifth show you've played, and the past year that you've had, um, has playing on live changed a lot for you? Maybe as a performer a lot? Do you find yourself a little more at ease on stage over the past few gigs that you've played? Yeah, see, like, I sound a bit uppity here, but I've never really had nerves because... Oh, really? 
take off the glasses and I can't see anything. <laughs> but I can see, you know, I can see people or whatever. But I never really, I, 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 I never really had nerves until uh, other voices this year. It was the first oh. time I was very nervous. Um, but yeah, no, um, I didn't really have much nervous. Like we played in front of about four four thousand people in Poland there a while ago, and that was insane. And that they on they honestly just looked like blurs to me, but it was like it was it was amazing. It was insane. Um, but no, it, it for us, I think we kind of like for the band in general, we we become so much more in tune with what we want to do live and how we move and how we interact with the crowd and it's it's really it really works and i think people are into the you know how we how we interact and how we we are actively enjoying ourselves and you know we're not like interpol where we just saying no, no bad nothing bad interpol that's just they're, they're i think they're a great band but you know just sing the song and look real sad no we can't do that <laughs> okay so it's not nerves but i guess it is a learning curve so yeah. like the more gigs you play i mean the better you're going to be i'm guessing yeah, definitely. Yeah, like that's what our management said. Like when we first, when we first uh, signed to our management, they were like, "That was your tenth show. Imagine what your hundredth show is going to be like." It's like, yeah, we're still not there yet, but we're getting to the hopefully hundred one this year. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose I've got to ask you the the uh, derogor question of uh, the guitar scene in Dublin at the moment. Um, does it feel like a scene to you guys? I mean, do you know? all of the other bands that are coming up or that have been doing really good things over the past little while? Yeah, no, a couple of them. I wouldn't, I, um, I wouldn't know them as like, uh, like friends or whatever, but like I, I, I keep in touch with a lot of them. And then there's the ones that I would know with friends would be the band Yard uh, are really, really good from Dublin. Um, to, uh, one of the lads, Ben is in the band and Ingurius is in Yard as well. And Emmett, who used to be Ingurius is in Yard. There is Blue Slate, uh, a young Irish uh, Dublin band. I don't know if they're all from Dublin though, so I don't want to piss them off. Um, but they're amazing. They're a really, really good band. I can see them doing really well. There's a band called The Door that are really, really good. Cable are really good. Um, Search Results. I'm, sta- I'm starting to listen to them more, more and more. They're really good. They remind me of Pavement a lot. I haven't uh, Skinner. I haven't, I haven't heard anything from him for a while, but he's he's really good as well. Cruel Sister. Loads of bands. There's loads of. Them. But yeah, I think there's just a really strong scene and I think it's just, it's still bubbling. I think it's still building. And I think as you we were talking about the industry and like labels and booking agents, I think Dublin or Ireland in general become a window shopping for, for the industry soon because it's just, it's just really good writing. Like I was in, I was in the music scene in Dublin years ago with an old band called the Diatonics and there was no one because everyone used to be in, into like techno and all the nightclubs and everything, which is great. Nothing wrong with it, but there was no, wasn't no scene but now seeing this now it feels it feels real it feels like an actual scene great great and you mentioned other voices the only moment that you were nervous uh playing a gig <laughs> uh this was in the church at other voices i'm guessing was it it was yeah was it a good show though it was amazing it was exactly what i wanted it was uh it couldn't have went any better it was um yeah it was one of those moments that I've always dreamt of since I was a kid because I saw the national play there when I was like 14 or 15 on the, on YouTube. And I was like, I loved the national then or whatever. And I was like, that looks amazing. That would be really cool to do that one day, but I don't think I ever will. So I ended up doing it and we cried our eyes out afterwards. Well, me and me and Pierce, 
crying our eyes out afterwards. I can't say the rest of them, though. but I was I was in I was in ribbons. Everyone everyone gave me hugs afterwards, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm getting tears all over you. It was very emotional. It was very like it's one of those moments that like I definitely will always treasure, but also one of those moments that like we worked really hard for that, you know. I think mm. people noticed that like we worked really hard and we really we wanted people to know that we we like we've worked hard to get here and like we've we've done the work that we deserve this kind of thing you know yeah that's great it's the second time that i've kind of in in the past week i was working on another podcast and like uh it was with elaine malone from cork and she was just talking about like the hard work that you've got to put off that it is like work that you're putting into it so it is great that you are seeing that and you're seeing it pay off as well the fruit the fruits of your labor big time yeah you don't see it at the time i think when you're doing it but it is a lot of work because you, you you enjoy it but i think it just when it pays off is when you feel it when it pays off i think is the that's how i feel did you see anybody else over the weekend did you get to stick around dingle and see any other acts unfortunately we got to go we had to go uh to not unfortunately sorry we went to um holland the next day and played a really really great show unfortunately it was the last show at emmett for that one but uh that was the unfortunate part but yeah no it was really fun it was just the, the traveling <laughs> yeah, yeah dingle to holland after you know a couple of couple of nights of uh, a lot of drinking but i saw yard i didn't really see too much else i wanted to go see really good time but they're playing the same time as us i wanted to go see um Scustin, but i ended up in a conversation with people with a lot of points and they'll they'll understand that and that's completely fine um but um i think it, that does happen a lot when we're when you've done a show and you're just talking to people and you're like oh fuck someone else is on and you just you just lose out and if, i did really want to see a lot of people though i wanted to see um khaki kids show and i wanted to see lucy mac williams but she was playing i think quite early we got there a bit late but yeah there was loads of people wanted to see i wanted to see male but they were playing sunday so yeah, everyone I wanted to see, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the rest of the year? I guess you're, there's only so much that you can tell me, but have you got like another couple of singles planned? Have you started thinking about an album as a band? There'll be, uh, yeah, there'll be a couple of more singles. An album, we're still kind of like thinking about it where it's like we have, we need to have a body of work to kind of push out and see what happens. Um, but um, we're hoping to get a lot more summer shows, you know, festivals, hoping to get out to the UK a bit again as well. Um, but I think we're taking it like in a way we're going, you know, we're trying to take it. The shows need to make sense, you know, like we're playing a show in, in London, we're doing a showcase show with Third Man London in May, Third Man Records, and that's sold out already. So that'll be fun. And then we're hopefully doing a, a bit more over the year. There will be Gurrier shows. So that's all, that's all that matters <laughs> for me. Cool. Cool. Looking forward to uh, catching you live, hopefully at some point over the year. But uh, what an exciting time that you've already had. What an exciting time ahead. And thanks for chatting me to me this morning. Cheers. Thanks, man. Pixels blowing slow
And then more generally, we were talking just before we recorded about you living in New York and Other Voices was always there and you'd always come back for Other Voices. That seems like it's a relationship that's just been there for years and that you you just love the experience of, of working with them. I'm guessing photography is such a, a personal one person thing, but Other Voices is a big team effort. Yeah, I'm big time. I mean, I, I'm so lucky that I, I mean, I. I randomly crossed paths with Aoife Woodlock from Other Voices like well over a decade ago and then she kind of put me in put me forward to work on on a, on the show in Dingle and and around that and kind of like I look back on that and again like that's one of those kind of dream commissions where ev- like everyone who works on that is just such an amazing um an amazing crew of people there and so much um just amazing access to incredible music every year and I just loved working on it. And, and it was one of those things when we did, you know, I'd worked on it for maybe five years. And then when we moved to New York, in my head, I was like, all right, that's like, that's probably that. And then thankfully, they were able to figure out a way to to get me to come back. So like, even it was amazing where, you know, we couldn't always afford to fly home for Christmas when we were living over there. So sometimes it'd be like, like the first week in December every year I knew. I would just fly into Shannon and there was times I wouldn't even tell anyone like my folks or friends that I was back. I would just get into Shannon and then get from Shannon to Dingle, shoot for like four days and then just bounce back and then be back in Brooklyn and just be like, whoa, that was like <laughs> when worlds collide. It was always just, but you would come back feeling like, I don't know, it was just like this amazing kind of like slice of home. And, and there was times when I was coming back doing it where it was like, I might have been kind of homesick and in a way this was like the perfect medicine coming back to to work on other voices and and not just because of the musicians and like obviously it's about the music but it was also just those friendships with all the the crew and, and the people who who make it all happen there they're just really really good people what's your favorite gig that you've seen in the church do you have a favorite oh there's so many i mean but in terms of like i think post lockdown the first like there was the year, or was it in lockdown? I think we're still in lockdown. I think, like, there's been so many amazing... Like, I, I remember being totally blown away with Reggie Snow. Um, I was a big fan. And and, I, and, like, and again, I, I just remember being like, whoa, this is incredible. And then there's all these kind of, like, kind of more obvious things that you would... Um, I don't know. There's just so many, but... Also, like, pillow, I'd never really heard Pillow Queens before. And then I remember, like, seeing Pillow Queens play in the church. And I was just like, whoa, what is this? Like, this was, it was, again, I was like, this is just so good. And and I, it's kind of, there's always a few things with other voices where, like, before I had kids and I had more time to, like, do my research and be nerdy. When, whenever I'd get the lineup, I would kind of do a bit of a deep dive into who's playing. But this year, I remember, I, I didn't have a clue who they were. And, and, <laughs> and I was just like, this is amazing. But in terms of like, um, I remember the performance that David Balfe did with For Those I Love. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was, um, and I think that was like, 
it was still locked down. It was locked down because there was only like seven or eight people in the church and it, it, the way he performs. And, and again, I hadn't, I didn't know. It was before the album had come out or anything. But I remember like by the end of that performance, everyone just kind of walking outside and just feeling completely moved and kind of like forever changed by that performance that was so moving. And it was just this weird silence afterwards. Everyone was just like, what the fuck? Like it was really powerful. It's funny that you mentioned like the three acts that you mentioned are all Irish, you know, like I mean, the there's other loads more. get, the, get yeah. the huge acts as well. But it is the Irish stuff that does kind of but just like personally. Yeah, I or maybe it, that's I don't know. Like the other weird things. Like, I remember like seeing Mogwai, for example. Oh, OK. And I was like, holy shit, this is, it was so amazing. And, and so get like, I'm guessing. Yeah. No, it was like <laughs> earplugs completely. And um I'm probably like forgetting loads and loads of stuff. Yeah. But like also like actually the f- first time I saw Gilliband was in that church as well. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is amazing. So yeah, so many. I'm I'm forgetting loads. Lisa O'Neill as well. Oh my God. And Lancome. Oh, There's like, yeah, it's so much. But like, I think it, that like other voices without going on and on about it. It's just such a, I don't know. It's just like such an amazing kind of gathering of like, the immense talent that exists here you know it's it's amazing that that still exists so I've been on a run of interviews lately, apparently talking about the music scene in Dublin, in Ireland, about 20 years ago. I had David Hederman from The Intermediate oh. on, in, from The Immediate <laughs> on um, last week. I have uh, Kieran and Emily from Driven Snow, who used to be in De Laurentos and uh, Republic of Luce. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. And now Makey is back on the podcast as well. What what do you think of when you think about twenty years ago? How often are you thinking about those uh, wild times? Well, I I cannot believe this is relevant to me. I'm still like when someone says twenty years ago, I'm like, no, sure, I was ten, but I really truly wasn't. I was seventeen. So, God, that's crazy. I love Dave Hederman. I love Karen and Emily as well. Um. I remember mostly it feels like I lived in that little sliver of a beer garden in Whelan's <laughs> um, uh, and just was surrounded by, yeah, the immediate would have been a huge thing for me and Jamie would have just spent all our time. We had no money. I don't know what we were doing. Um, but anyway, we spent all our time really in Whelan's, I think, um, a lot watching bands and the immediate were definitely one of them. Oh, my God. They were so exciting. Yeah. They were so exciting. So I think we'd seen bands before do the thing where people switch instruments and it felt like there's no need to do that. That guy should just be on the drums the whole time. He's not good at the other thing that he took over. Whereas the immediate um, could really uh, switch things up and show a whole different side of the band. Um, God. (laughs) A bit of me would hate to be that age again. I was so unsure of myself and... 
but I do really think seeing those bands and I mean David Kitt and Jape and there's loads of loads of great bands around then that I'd never even been exposed to before. I mean, I'd, I'd been exposed to good music before, but not live music like that um, in such a small little scene. God, that was a mad time. That's all very gooey as well. I couldn't tell you exactly what like specifics that happened between ages seventeen to. <laughs> I'm 20. just wondering what you're thinking about when you're going, oh, God. Are you know, thinking of, like, the messy nights at, like, 3 a.m. or something like that? Are uh, you thinking of, like, the highs of the gigs? Yeah. Um, no. I mean, it's all, it's all, a, it's all goop. <laughs> it's all just a gooey time in life that was just so exciting. Um, I think we, not that we didn't go to clubs, but we were more into um, gigs and pints and things. So that suited us very much. Is that um, how the band kind of started? But like definitely, it started yeah. Started over pints and uh, ideas. Yeah, well, cans. We definitely didn't have money for pints um, at the time, but yeah, me and Jamie were in college and just wanted to not be in college anymore. I think, um, and yeah, I found that I just found that buzz just so invigorating. Uh, you know, like where were you when you first heard Jape floating live? You know. <laughs> Um, or kids are playing anything from the big romance or, you know, just, it was just something. Di- I actually have that just feeling in my tummy now, just thinking about it, about how inspiring it was and how tangible it felt. I don't know why I hadn't, I didn't really, I sang a bit, but I didn't have anything else going. So for some reason they made it feel tangible, even though they were cool rock stars on stages, they still made it feel like it was something we could do. Um... And there was sound as well. I was going to ask, was there like a little bit of a rivalry? Did it feel like only one of us can kind of make it out of Dublin? Sort of Not thing? with those boys, no. They would have been way ahead of us. They had um, already released albums. Oh yeah, they were already doing the business. Yeah, um, sure, David Kitt, The Big Romance came out in like 2001 or something. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. So no, they were definitely ahead of us. Um, we would have been playing, like whenever we played in Galway, we would have played with like Give Man a Kick and... Um, of course I blank on all these things now but like there was a great cork band Hooray for Humans mm, yep. um, in Belfast we played with Lafaro uh, you know um, um, among many others but like um, there wasn't a direct rivalry with anybody like we all I mean they made us better like anybody that we played with especially when you play in Belfast or Derry we just got louder and I don't mean in a very clever musical way. We just turned stuff up because they were just so hefty, chunky. And yeah, same with Give Man a Kick, like that would have turned things up um, with them too. But I think there was definitely a feeling back then there was only a few spots for sure. But I never felt that directly with people, you know, or if, if they felt that they, they hit it. But um, it definitely felt that way. It really... There wasn't as much collaboration going on. Like now, I mean, it's just, it's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It seems like people are all kind of friends and in each other's bands. And it makes so well. much sense. It yeah. makes so much sense. We've seen it now with so many scenes in Ireland that like everyone rises, you know, when that scene starts to rise and there's like, there's no end to the space for bands now. I kind of wish we'd known that back then, but I also can't have done anything about it you know we just we knew what we knew 
But you would have been really like, I even think now, you know the way there's loads of people that they're in a few bands or like someone says, I'm just going to sit in for a couple of gigs with this band because their bass player's away or whatever. I'm, I'd like to check this with Jamie in case I'm being a dick, but like I'm quite sure that that would have been met with some hostility. If you had gone and done stuff with another band sort of thing? Not or he had any done of us, or, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think that was the thing. We were all these little tight-knit gangs and I don't... And we loved, we'd, we'd great crack touring with bands and sharing vans and stuff. But I don't think the musical collaborations were as much up for grabs at the time. So I'm, I'm a bit jealous about that. And at the same time, it did mean that you were just laser focused on your own thing, you know. And you weren't hedging your bets <laughs> across a few things. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but certainly different. <laughs> How did the reunion come about last year? Is that what you were called? Were you calling it a reunion? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I didn't think I was old enough to... <laughs> Actually, it made us think about a time. I think we we just literally released our second record. And like 2009, 10? 10, I think. Yeah. You're very handy. <laughs> um, Ask me the really important things, yeah. you know? Like, then I'm kind of like... <laughs> These are the important days. things. Yeah. Um, I remember just, we were in the car one day and we were pl- listening to a radio station and there was a, a tune of ours on a Blast from the Past segment. <laughs> I mean, I can't have been more than 21 and it was just our second album. So I really am vintage, a veteran now. <laughs> um, but um, well, one of the things was that me and Jamie were like brother and sister, you know, throughout the whole time fight like ours were together. And when things, I think things broke down with us a little bit, not in a particularly dramatic way, just I don't know which came first, really, but things weren't working out the way we thought they were and things got strayed and everything. Frayed. Frayed? Frayed yeah. works, yeah. Yeah. Um, T- towards the end, sort of a thing around the last yeah, album. Yeah. Um, and it was tough. And, you know, everyone has their goals and dreams and stuff. And we weren't at this, the place that we thought we would be at that stage for for lots of reasons. Um, so we quit the band and we also kind of... It, this wasn't spoken about, but we really went our separate ways. And we we all we knew as adults was fight like apes. And we very much had to go off and find our own thing which was quite sad we never spoke about it actually but it was the best thing for us we both have our own lives and our own friends and have made careers for ourselves outside of the band but I really really missed him and I would get very nostalgic there was a couple of times the morning after a night out where I'd look at my Spotify and I'd been listening to Violet (laughs) so I was like this is pathetic um, What's your go-to fight like a song to listen to? <laughs> um, it depends. Battle stations mm. usually. <laughs> Highly recommend it. And then I, me and Jamie would be in touch the odd time. Um, but we, we ended up hanging out. And turns out he'd been having quite a similar... I don't know if his was as <laughs> pathetic as him realising he'd been listening to himself on nights out, but... He finished with uh, something global. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we had completely different songs <laughs> on it. Um, and he'd been having the same thoughts and the same just nostalgia about it. Was it unfinished business sort of a thing? Was it like he didn't like the way that it ended and you wanted to... Transpires that, yes, mm. it was. I don't think we were really aware of that, but... I mean, the last three shows we ever did were amazing. We did Whelan's, Connolly's of Lep and Roisin Dove. They were magic and they really did. We, 
the big fear is that no one cares. I mean, the same for people with most things in life. The big fear is that you didn't have as much of an impact as you thought. And those shows gave us a lot of um, warmth and um, there was a lot of heart in them and the people there got it and it was great. But, you know, it wasn't, the career, our career didn't end in the way that we would have liked. So we had a couple of ideas. We were going to just maybe re-release an album, but we think that is spoofer stuff. We were like, <laughs> what would our justification be in that? A remaster? Like, I don't know. My ears aren't good enough to uh, appreciate remasters. So I didn't think I should expect other people's to be. And it was kind of scary. Like, we were just like, let's do it. We spoke to, um, one of the great things was we spoke to Niall Morris, who would have been a booker of ours back in the day. Um, he was in L.A. at the time and I rang him and just said, like, are we being mental if we booked a big venue? And he was like, do it. Like, don't look back. I'll fly home for it. <laughs> I know loads of people that will travel for it. Just do it. Yeah. And then sold out with in an hour, I think, when we went. So that was scary as well. The big fear is that no one will buy tickets. And the second biggest fear is that everyone will buy tickets. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to do it. Um, so we did a. I want. To, I just wanted to make sure the first time we stepped out on stage together in seven years wasn't onto the Olympia. So we booked two shows before it. Um, we did the garage in London, and then the week before that we played Bellow Bar, mm, uh, which was really important. Um, all three gigs were just magic. What were those practice shows like? Was it kind of like you're greasing the wheels, or was it kind of instantly, ah, oh, we're back, we're back, baby? We worked our asses off. Yeah. So. That felt good. In the Bellow Bar that night, um, certainly wasn't perfect, but it felt like our, our atmosphere, our environment as well. Little sweaty, low ceiling bar. Um, loads of just friends there who, a lot of a lot of whom we met through through music and stuff. Most of whom I'd say we've met through music. Um, it was amazing. It was such a relief. London was by no means a practice gig. We kind of, in our heads, it kind of was. But I mean, it was sold out garage in London. It was amazing. That was nice too, because like, um, you know, my mum was there. The lads, all their wives were there. So you do, I mean, you're afraid of letting a lot of people, or not letting them down. You can't let them down, but just being disappointing. <laughs> so it was nice for them to come to London and be like, no, you still got it. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> And the Olympia is just one of my favorite nights of my life. Just felt everything just made everything was it was the right decision. We all felt so at home on the stage, and that's how we're just we're going to do April sixth in the Olympia, and then I think I'd be surprised if we did anything after that. Really, is that like the full stop? I think so. It's, we don't want to get greedy, as as you say, like this does, does feel like we got to end things again. Great. We don't want to fucking fall into the trap of like yeah yeah letting it peter out you know did you talk about making new music like mm. in the past year in the past 18 months yeah we did and we were up for it and had the energy for it and everything but we'd be kind of rehearsing the songs that we wrote when we were like 19 and we're just not that band anymore we're not those people anymore by a long shot so me and jamie will work on some music together but it won't be as fight like apes oh okay and actually we we recorded a cover that we're going to release a couple of weeks before the Olympia show that I'm so proud of and is kind of very relevant to the to the moment. But that's all any that's the only new thing we'll have this year. 
and then yeah who knows about the future but yeah as fight like apes i don't think we'll be writing any new music did you feel really confident um on stage just from like the all the other stuff you've done in the interim between the fight like apes um reunion and finishing up beforehand like you've played with the galaxy loads you've done loads of stuff with um elaine may as well and there's probably other things as well that i can think of did you feel like a confident a new confidence maybe yeah i mean just i just thought my voice has to have gotten better <laughs> it has to have um yeah the the excitement really one of the big things i think that i'm sure anybody who finishes up with a band or or, or lets anything go um it's really sad to think of the songs not being played again. Um, so there was this new energy in in doing those songs on stage because I've done lo- I've been you know been doing this full time since Fight Like Apes ended, but nothing as high tempo as Fight Like Apes <laughs> stuff. So I felt like I'd been working on all the other stuff a bit, like vocally and you know lots of other things. But yeah, no, there was just an, a, a like youthful. Uh, like reserve of energy there somewhere I think we all felt really confident though it's funny when you practice stuff loads (laughs) (laughs) you probably didn't need to practice when you were younger though you know it was just like in you oh my god well we needed I needed to google lyrics this time it was bad um it was really bad about two months before the Olympia last year and I include myself in this I was like if this doesn't improve I'm pulling it this is there's nobody asked us to do this we decided to do this so it has to be as good as it could be so but no everyone yeah everyone worked really hard and that that works apparently turns out you did a couple maybe maybe just one or two solo gigs last year as well did you you did irish music week yeah How was that's that? all i did I, I didn't get to see I'm i'm so intrigued as to what you're what you're thinking about solo wise yeah i played ireland music week with an amazing band um, who I really couldn't have done the show without. I So Ian McFarlane is, I made made the album with Ian McFarlane um, and we recorded with Rian Trench ah, in the Meadows. So yeah. many people say Rian Trench on this podcast and I'm like, great, that's, he's <laughs> that's such a seal a of approval that you need. Yeah, he's such a beaut. Um, he's so good to work with. I think Rian's one of those guys that can just speak all musical languages. So I'd say if you're trained within an inch of your life um, in music, Rian also is. And if you speak this weird pig music English <laughs> that I speak, um, Rian knows exactly what I'm saying. Or at least he does a good job of pretending he does. Great to work with. Uh, I've never actually done a solo album before and I found it, I've found it incredibly um, intense, the idea of, of releasing it. So... Like extra weight on your shoulders? Totally. I mean, the lead up to that Ireland Music Week show, I've never felt anxiety like it. I'm still trying to figure that out. And I'm also trying to not think about it because I just want to release the album. I've been I've been sidetracked in the last few months um, with other work, but I fully intend on releasing the album this year. The big thing being that I need to work on more stuff. And you know the way like before you, I'm not going to really start working on new stuff before I release this because then you kind of you lose your vigor for what you have. Um, so, yeah, I need to do that. You have a plan for it and everything. Loosely. Yeah, just got to set it in action. Exactly. The train is in the station. 
It needs to leave. <laughs> Is it almost daunting in a way just seeing like how, I don't know, all these young up and coming bands, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, my God, how do I how do I almost compete with them in a way just because, you know, they like they want to tour the shit out of it and everything. I'm guessing like, you know, you're kind of not able or not wanting to put as much as they can into it, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it's a the this end of things is a young man's game. And it's not that it's not that I don't feel old in any way, but and I talk to people like this who've been kind of doing this at the same pace as me at the same time as me um I yeah I don't want to tour the UK and sleep in a van um but at the same time my focus really is and this is something that like I would say to other people and it's been very annoying to have to take my own advice um (laughs) but like it just have to release it that's what we do you know, it's like, it's same with what you're doing. Like, even if it's not something that you're, I'm not suggesting people should have to release stuff they're not happy with, by the way, but you have to be releasing music. You have to be putting out podcasts. You can't, stuff has to move. The wheels have to keep moving. Um, and you have to be part of it. Um, and it affects everything. Like, if you're being, int- like if I'm being introduced, let's say as other voices presenter, who's also um, very active musician and kind of gets it under your skin a little bit that you're like well actually when's the last time I release music because that's and that's not all that a musician is obviously you can be a performer and all those things but I do feel like I'm a little bit not part of it at the moment and of the music scene yeah of, of mus- yeah, musician yeah. circles <laughs> um, and I've released lots of stuff with people I've done lots of stuff with Elaine May and DJ Cormac of a Daniel Johnston tribute album coming out this year with Jerry Fish. So it's not that I, I'm very much part of it to a degree, but I just feel like there's something in not doing the really brave end of things, releasing your own stuff and just seeing how it goes when you float it out to people. That makes me feel a little bit on the outside and I can fix that pretty easily. Yeah, well, it sounds like you'll get to experience it at some point this year anyway. Yeah. That's exciting. It is. <laughs> you don't look too excited. Though. I know. And the thing is, I really like the music. I, I, it's not like, if I didn't think the tunes were good, this just wouldn't be a, on the table at all. Maybe I'm afraid of being part of it as well as, as mm. not being part of it. So, um, yeah, there's only one way of figuring that stuff out really yeah like i mean it's just great to see some of the people who we mentioned who have released albums again i mean david kitt who released his i don't know what number album is it number eight or something last year idiot check i think it's one of the best albums he's ever made so it's not like people forget how to do it you know they just need to write <laughs> yeah, like true. like lease of creativity or something that's so true that's so t- true and I do think, obviously, yeah, there's skills that people need to stay on top of. But you do. Those things are still happening. Like, you know, you're still... I just bumped into Una Malali on the way to meet you. And um, she said, what? Where's this album? Like, shut up! <laughs> um, I have to stop telling people to shut up when they very kindly try and encourage me. I didn't tell you to shut up because we're doing an interview. But shut up. Yeah. I think it's a habit too as well. I think I was so used to just with Fight Like Ace we released an, an album every two years and then with the Galaxy it was one out pretty quickly after that and then when I was working with other people you know Elaine May is just so she's such a grafter you know. I kind of hate people saying that because 
No, but she is. She really is. Um, and incredibly dedicated to kind of a bit of excellence and a bit of brilliance and doesn't doesn't quit until she gets to the thing that she wants and and same with Cormac is just is just absolutely amazing um the work that he's done like you know he's a proper composer who's working on enormous works and stuff and that's been amazing to be part of as well um and they all like my album (laughs) (laughs) great I can't wait to hear it um, do you get a satisfa- a different kind of a satisfaction from doing the other voices stuff? How long have you been doing it? Other voices, I think this will be my eighth year. As in just the one gone in December that's going to be on the TV screens next week? Oh, nice. Okay, I, it's seventh or eighth, which is mad. And yeah, it's just mad and absolutely completely different, completely different type of gig. Like when they first asked me, did I want to present the show? I just, I I honestly just didn't know what that meant. I'd never presented something or interviewed somebody or anything. Um, and I'd say there was some sketchy moments when I first started <laughs> because you don't, um, this sounds really, uh, well, it sounds stupid, but uh, you you don't realise that you're there to let the other person talk because you'd just be kind of chatting away and talking over someone and laughing and stuff. And then you kind of have to realize that like, you know, it's a very different thing um, when you're there to kind of give other people a platform to show themselves or their art or whatever it is. And this is like, it's been just a, it's been a, an incredible, I just can't get, I just, it is, a, that is a bit of a pinch me job. Just knowing every December you're going down to Dingle for like however long you need to go down for. That on its own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that on its own is amazing. And you know, the two Guinness Storehouse shows over the past couple of years, I didn't think I'd be the type of person that would be misty-eyed about how, you know, iconic the building is and <laughs> being, and, and to have the show Other Voices with Guinness Storehouse was just, you know, a, a wonderful thing to be part of. And to see, you know, like we saw the streets. Oh, yeah. Stories. That was amazing. Another blast blast from the past there. Is yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he did Blinded by the Lights. Oof. And when when the feed cut, he did Fit But You Know It. <laughs> Just for the crack. Like, oh, I mean, right. yeah, there's yeah. such good crack. Anyway. Yeah. And this season. So it was Aoife Woodlock's last season with other voices. This one previous. Who, uh, she works behind the scenes. Yeah, she's one of the people that books the band. That just sounds like such a... Um, it's so small compared to what they do. They yeah, book the bands. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they curate this incredible show. So so that that made December and Dingle particularly special. Aoife and Cullum Akinumaro be very close. Aoife looks at, manages Cullum and Aoife had wanted Kay Tempest for the show for forever. So Kay and Cullum together was just a joke dream come true and then the joy did you hear them no oh my god five piece south african vocal group and it's like damien Densey describes music and like how the fact that we're made of a lot of water and how the sounds of music and the performance of it and the vibrations can actually change the 
composition of your body. I talked to Wallace Bird about this recently too. Listening to the joy, I, I was like, oh, I kind of get it. I felt a bit different after it, you know. Um, and weirdly, same with Gurriers, actually, in St. James's Church. You couldn't be more different to the joy. Um, but I think I wasn't expecting them to be... Well, I, I've seen them before, but in, like, smaller venues. They were absolutely amazing. Do you think there's something about the church? Like, people always just talk about the church, you know? Like, I saw Seamat at the Olympia the day before she was heading down to Dingle, like, pretty much the final show of her gig. And... Um, she was talking about going to play the church and it felt like, you know, a real thing to tick off the list for her. Can can you see that like bands are like, you know, raising their game for it? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I wish I could describe this better. And I've, I've been given ample opportunity to describe this <laughs> and I still haven't figured out how. Like if, if you're talking about the people who like do the do the really important parts, the two really important parts are like, Dingle itself as a place and the people and the people in Kerry that make this such a special place and then the people who book the music and bring the musicians if you imagine an Irish booker legging it around 6th Street in Austin running after the National trying to convince them to travel to the west of Ireland to play in a 70 seater church you know for an Irish TV show and I'm not saying there isn't like, I mean, there's money involved, but I'm just saying to get people who are doing really well and touring and don't really need to do this to come and do it um, and not just come and do it, but come away and go, oh, that's, I get it. That's incredible. You know, that that's a very real thing, the way that people feel when they play that venue. And again, a lot of that is behind the scenes stuff. A lot of that is the the care in which the production team give to the creative side of things you know there's a lot of no one's told what to play there's a lot of collaboration in terms of like that they want the filming crew to have the music well in advance so they can be planning shots and the lighting and the stage setup and everything like that the stage design set design there's a lot of that on the lead up to it and then they're just treated to like a dingle welcome you know um when they get there and we just have the most amazing crew who are just so good at what they do. And, and I always say people, they care so much. They may not care, but they put a lot of care into it <laughs> for sure. Um, and they're just pros and they're brilliant. And the church, I mean, I don't know. I love that little window. Have you seen the little window? The little window to get into the church. Because obviously it operates as a church. We can't go putting in doors, you know. But there's a little church window um, that not one of us hasn't horribly whacked our heads off on the way in at some point. But everyone has to go through that window. Amy Winehouse in her enormous heels had to go through that window. Everyone does. And Decky, who works on the show, calls it the leveller. There's no, you know, there's no other way to get in once the show starts. So that's just it. Everyone has to do the same thing. And then there's all those iconic moments from you know we'd often get artists who say that they saw Amy Winehouse playing there that they thought like that's a tangible thing that they could do that also Amy Winehouse did and there's been loads of moments like that little sims playing in the church I just I'll remember for the rest of my life and 
loads of moments like that. And there is, it's just something extra in it. It's also very intense. I mean, I think that might be it as well. Mm. If you have Loyal Coroner in the middle of a tour where he's playing big venues to heaving, sweaty crowds and stick him into St. James's Church in Dingle where there's 70 people very politely sitting in pews. You know, um, it's really intense. And I think it gives a load of respect to the artists. Um, you can really hear everything, everything in it. And we saw that loads of times this year. You know, I don't, I don't think a lot of people would have known the joy before they played. In, a lot of people here wouldn't have known the joy before they played in Dingle. And, you know, they were given a hero's welcome, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it is an absolutely magic place, a magic thing. And final question, uh, you, Hugh Stevens, Nanny Mac, like what a great uh, trio of hosts. What are you up to like around other voices? Are you like hanging out? Are you getting pints together? Are you like uh, just saying all the stuff you can say on TV? <laughs> of course, there's a bit of that. Right? <laughs> what a load of shite. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, see, the, the really good thing, I promise you I'm not just saying this and Annie and Hugh would agree, we're not scripted at all. We're not restricted in any way. So we don't really have a huge amount to say off the mic that we can't say on it. We don't, there's no bands on the show that we don't think are brilliant. So it's not like you go, and next up the amazing blah, blah, and then mm. go, oh, geez, I don't think they're, <laughs> we, we do. Like we're, we're dying to introduce the band and leg it in to, to watch them. Um, but other than that, like Annie and Hugh are just, they're just deadly. They still love music as well. Like when I was down the last time a couple of years ago, just seeing Hugh in front of me in the middle of the day watching Junior Brother. Oh just my like, God. Let me tell you about Junior Brother. Hugh, uh, Hugh would not rest if there's gigs on and some, and he's just the perfect, he's just the, you and him would get on like a house <laughs> on fire at a festival together. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll have to make that happen because he really is just... If he has a half an hour free, he's going through a schedule. He'll like the name of a the name of a band, or he'll say he heard something about them, and he'll be like, "Yeah, he'd be at everything." He's such a he's just a massive music fan, and he's the same, you know. And Annie's so recognizable that you th you might think she'd be a little bit, you know, discreet around. Like she's she loves she loves meeting people. She's such a buzzer, and her she played. Um, Gainey's Yard, The Last Night of Other Voices. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. It really was. She's just, she's such a vibe. She's such a huge, a huge success. And, and, and in the very, like, realist way and the most well-earned way. Um, and I do like going for little hot whiskeys with them mm. and little pints with them throughout the weekend. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, only, what, nine months until you get to go back again? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, enjoy watching it And then it, it goes the by in a second. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks for chatting. Best of luck with the Fight Like Apes gigs. Thank you so much.
admit, but nevertheless a town of people, people who died 